Good evening. Our reading this evening is from Matthew, chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. And it can be found on page 986 of the Bibles in the chair in front of you. That's Matthew, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Great. Thanks, Sue. Hello, everybody. Um, do keep uh, Matthew chapter 19 uh, open as we look at that. Um, Catherine's already prayed, so, so we'll skip that. Um, but I do want to uh, start off. Um, so we're thinking about the topic of, of divorce this evening from Matthew chapter 19, particularly divorce and the kingdom of God. We're not just thinking just generally about divorce, what it is, but specifically what it means from a Christian point of view, what the Bible teaches us about the nature of divorce and and how we understand that and apply that to our lives as Christians. So we're going to be thinking about that this evening. And just just by way of sort of introduction, really, that's probably going to be a deeply personal issue for many of us. Uh, Statistics say that in one way or another, probably most people here will be affected by divorce. Either you are divorced, perhaps you're still single, perhaps you're remarried, perhaps your parents are divorced, perhaps your friends are divorced, or perhaps actually just uh, you're in a marriage or you have friends in a marriage and uh, life is hard. This is going to be a a personal issue for for many of us, either presently or, or possibly at some point in the future. But with every part of human life, actually, we want to hear what Jesus has to say about it, don't we? As followers of Jesus, we want to hear about what he has to say about it, what the Bible teaches on the whole area of marriage and divorce. 
Now, there are, there are all sorts of different ways today that I think that, that marriage is under attack. Perhaps you're, you're familiar with, with, with some. And I think probably one particular one that we see marriage under attack today is in the definition itself being changed. Historically, marriage was between a man and a woman, a lifelong union, as we'll come to see. But that definition is challenged, and, and in our country, it has been changed to something more inclusive than that exclusive definition. And even in in the past week or so, we've seen the first heterosexual civil partnership. Up until this point, same-sex couples were able to have a civil partnership, which wasn't a marriage, but entitled you to some of the same uh, legal um, uh, similarities as, as a marriage. But now a heterosexual couple who don't want to be married, but still want those same legal obligations. That this whole idea of marriage in our society is, is, is quite fuzzy and it is under attack. But that's nothing new. If we look into this passage and we see that marriage was under attack then in Jesus' day, just as much as it is today, perhaps in different ways, perhaps in more subtle ways, but the whole idea was still under attack. Because 2,000 years later, we still live in a sinful world. And sin affects all our relationships, doesn't it? Friendships, family, and marriage, particularly marriage. And marriage was under attack in Jesus' day in all sorts of ways, but one particular way, and relevant to this passage, is there were these two teachers in Jesus' day, these two rabbis, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on the names afterwards. Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And basically, they represented two different kind of thoughts of understanding about marriage, which are still appropriate today, really. Rabbi Shammai thought that divorce was only allowable in serious circumstances. So something really serious had to happen, and then perhaps divorce would be allowable. That was Rabbi Shammai. But the other guy, Rabbi Hillel, was a lot more progressive. And uh, his idea was that actually you could divorce, a husband could divorce his wife for pretty much anything. We even have on record husbands divorcing their wives for burning a meal. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But in terms of thinking about that, let's go, okay, right. <laughs> no pointing fingers, please. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But it, it represents these two extremes, doesn't it, really, in one sense. You divorce for pretty much uh, nothing except from very serious circumstances and divorce for pretty much anything. Also, if you didn't like something about your partner, you could give them a certificate of divorce and send them on their way. So those were the two extremes in Jesus' day. And I wonder what degree that might look like today in terms of sticking with someone in a marriage. As, as we come to this, we want to listen to God rather than to culture, because after all, he is the creator of marriage. So we think about marriage and divorce. We want to listen to God. And it may be hard what we hear, but we do want to listen and we do want to obey out of love for our Savior. So we're going to think about three different things as we go through this. We're going to think about what is God's design for marriage? What does God allow when things go wrong? And what does gospel marriage or gospel singleness look like? So first of all, then, let's think about what is God's design for marriage. Have a look down at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to test him. These are teachers of the religious law in Jesus' time. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife 
for any and every reason. So they are asking Jesus, are you a Rabbi Shammai guy or are you a Rabbi Hillel guy? We want to test you. We want to see what your teaching is, Rabbi Jesus, on marriage and divorce. And who is Jesus going to side with? Well, Jesus does what he often does and doesn't answer the question directly that he's being asked, but asks the question, answer the question that should be asked. He doesn't address divorce so much as teach them on what marriage is all about in God's eyes. Jesus wants to take these Pharisees back to the beginning, back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and explain what marriage is all about. So he tells us, verse 4 to 6, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave, leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus starts by telling us that God's design for marriage is firstly a lifelong union. It is a new unit. Two individuals come together and they are joined as one in marriage. And because of this, this is something that cannot be easily broken. It is a lifelong union. It's like trying, and to try and do that is to, to try and tear a human person in two halves and trying to preserve each half individually. They are one new unit and they cannot be easily broken. They are a lifelong union. That's what Jesus firstly says. And that has always been the case since the beginning. But not only is it a lifelong union, it is a lifelong union where a man and a woman are joined together by God. Have a look at that second bit of verse 6. Therefore, what God has joined together, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus tells us what God has done and he gives a command from that. God's design for marriage is a lifelong union. God has joined them. When you come along to, to a wedding, perhaps at church or a register office, it isn't the vicar or the priest or the registrar that is doing the marrying. It is God. God is joining those two together, whether they recognize that or not, whether they're believers or not. God is still the one joining them together. And Jesus says, because of this, no one should try and separate it. Either in our own marriages, we should not try to separate it, or in others, by causing that separation either. is a clear warning from our Lord. And because of that, because no one should try to separate it, it can only be broken when God breaks it, because he is the one who makes it. And the way that God breaks marriage is in death, when either the husband or the wife dies because marriage is something that is temporary it lasts for this life there will be no marrying in heaven as jesus says in the gospels that means if if someone has lost a husband or a wife that means they are free to remarry they are no longer united to that person marriage is temporary there is no marriage in heaven And because of that, 
we see that not only marriage is a, is a lifelong union in God's design, not only something that God has done, but it is also a picture. It is a picture of God's love for his people. Now, you go along to a marriage, and there are lots of pictures on a wedding day. I should know. I used to be a wedding photographer. And you going around taking photos, absolutely everything. But the real thing you want to capture is, is the couple's love for one another. And there are a few key moments that you really want to do that. You want to do it when they are, they are looking at one another, exchanging the rings, saying the vows to one another. Normally one or, or both of them crying, if, if that, that will make, makes a good picture. Um, but you want to try and capture that couple's love. But you see, along with all the pictures that are taken on a wedding day, actually the biggest picture isn't one that's taken with a camera, but it is the picture of that marriage union itself it is a picture of christ's love for the church it says to those effects into the in the marriage service that marriage is a picture of christ's love for the church those people whom he died for those people who he he rescued it is a picture so what is god's design for marriage well it is a lifelong union Something that has been joined by God, which points us to Jesus' love for his church. That is a, a working definition of what marriage is all about. And with that in mind, we can then go on to think about, well, if that is what God's design for marriage is like, what about when things go wrong? Or what does God allow when things go wrong? Because there are occasions when marriages break down. Have a look at verses 7 to 8. They then ask Jesus, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Um, They were misquoting Moses. Moses, who we read about in Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Moses didn't command, as in say that they should do this, but allowed it. It was a concession made to the people because of the hardness of their hearts. You see, separation or even divorce is not part of God's design for what marriage should look like. Look like. But in a fallen, broken world... God allows it because he's not blind to mess and brokenness in relationships. Look elsewhere, what Jesus says following on at the end of verse 8. He says, but it was not this way from the beginning. Before sin entered into the world, divorce was not an option. There was no need for it because hearts were not hardened by sin. Divorce did not exist. Marriage was the way it should be. Which means, actually, as Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus, actually that means there is an extra determination to keep the marriage union where possible. Because we know that from before the beginning, it was not this way. And that in the new creation, Divorce will not exist in the same way that marriage will not exist. Because the thing that marriage was pointing to will be a reality for all those who love and follow the Lord Jesus. So marriage is lifelong. 
Something joined by God and it points to that pitch of Jesus' love for his people. I heard a, a wise older saint say something along the lines of, God hates divorce, but he loves divorcees. And that's true of all sin, isn't it? God hates sin, but he loves sinners so much that he sent his son into the world to rescue them. Jesus goes on and continues on. He answers their question in more detail about divorce. And we get on to verse 19 and the question beckons, okay, we've got this idea about what does God allow when things go wrong in terms of divorce and separation. Well, what about remarriage? And often those two things are read as synonymous, as, as being just going together. You assume that, that if divorce is allowable, then remarriage is allowable as well. But what does Jesus actually say? In verse 9, he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus says that Jesus calls it adultery based on his standards. These aren't standards I've made up or the Church of England has made up. These are standards that Jesus holds marriage to. And it makes sense, doesn't it, from what we've read earlier in that passage about how God defines marriage, that it is something that is a lifelong union that he has created, and it points to Jesus' love for the church. So you can understand why remarriage is spoken of in this way. But we've, we've got to be honest, there's this bit in verse 9, and um, we'll just, just look at that quickly, because Jesus says this in the other Gospels as well. This isn't just like a one-off for Jesus. Jesus has said that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. But it's only in Matthew's Gospel that it picks up this little bit about except for sexual immorality. And Jesus is clear, as is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, that the and was the practice of the early church that Christians who were divorced or separated, Paul writes about cases where people have become Christians and their spouses have left them. Paul says you are to remain as you are. Christians in the early church did not get remarried. So what is what does this bit mean except for sexual morality? Well, that word in the original isn't the same as adultery, so it's not talking about that in terms of marriage. But I think we have seen it somewhere else in Matthew's gospel, actually. And that term does come up somewhere else and it begins to make sense. I think we can say with confidence that that bit means premarital adultery. And I'll explain what that means. Premarital adultery discovered during betrothal. Now, there's a lot of long, complicated words. Let me explain what I mean with a story in the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. And she goes and tell, well, Joseph discovers, and he doesn't believe her, does he? Joseph thinks that, that Mary has been unfaithful. So he decides to divorce her quietly. Now, we don't really understand this because we don't do marriage in the same way as they did in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, you were betrothed to someone, and then later on you would be married. Now, it's kind of like engagement, but uh, during betrothal, actually, there was a greater sense that you were, 
you weren't married, but you were more married than just being engaged, if that makes sense. There were certain legal obligations to being betrothed, which is why Joseph is going to divorce Mary, even though they're not married. They are betrothed. And in that case, Joseph divorcing her, that would mean he would be free to remarry. If they were already married at that point, he wouldn't be. But it was during that betrothal period before he got married, if he had divorced her and got remarried, he would have been. And that's why it comes up in Matthew's gospel and not in the other gospels. And that's what it means. There's a really helpful book called Jesus and Divorce, uh, written by a couple of theologians that helps to unpack that and looks at all the different evidence for the different kind of ideas. But I'm pretty confident that that's what it means. And it makes most sense of, of the New Testament teaching. Jesus says remarriage except in that particular above case, which probably doesn't apply to most of us because people don't get betrothed nowadays. Jesus says remarriage is adultery because they are still one flesh. Now, I realize this is hard. This is hard for me because of members of my family who are remarried after divorce, who are believers. But even if what Jesus said is hard, we want to listen to it, don't we? Because we love him. Because we owe him everything. As the writer in that book I just mentioned, Jesus and Divorce, when talking about this idea, he he said, look, we need to call sin, sin, and not justify it. But at the same time, that is true, that is absolutely true. We don't want to justify sin. But the one who calls us to this high standard of living is also the one who forgives us when we fall. And when we fail, not just in the area of marriage and divorce and remarriage, but in every part of life. Jesus does call us to a holy life. But he forgives us when we fail. And that is our motivation to to pursue holiness all the more because of what Jesus has done for us in making it possible to for us to be forgiven. So then. What does gospel marriage or gospel singleness look like? I'm going to mention just a bit about marriage, but I want to focus in on the singleness. So how can we live out what Jesus is saying in a world broken by sin? It is, as I said, a very high standard. Well, in terms of marriage, we hold it in honour. Our own marriages and others. We take seriously the, the commands and warnings in scripture. But we also support one another when things go wrong. And I know this church family does do that, but it's important that we, we keep on doing that. When things go wrong, we support and we love one another and we don't judge and we care. We are to live in a way that shows what marriage is all about in our own marriages and in supporting other marriages, that it is lifelong, that it is by God and it is a picture of Jesus' love for the church. Marriage is a powerful symbol of God's love. But what about singleness? Because this is what Jesus hones in on and the end of this passage here. And I think that's really good because actually, I don't know about you, but I don't think we tend to hear much about singleness. There aren't many books. I mean, you you go to, to Books Alive and the number of books on marriage compared to those on singleness. Well, it's. I don't know. I can't remember the last time I saw a book on singleness, maybe one or two, or conferences on marriage as opposed to on singleness. And I think that's all the more surprising because Jesus, the son of God, was single. 
So it's all the more important that we think about what Jesus has to say about this. But before we get to that, the disciples interject, as they often do. Oh, this is all just sounding too much. Jesus, what you are saying. Verse 10, the disciples said to Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Is Jesus' teaching on marriage too unrealistic, they're thinking? Well, Jesus says this in verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Jesus says it's not impossible, but it is hard. And he answers their question by teaching on singleness. And singleness isn't just never being married, as we'll see. And he gives the example of a eunuch. Now, a eunuch was someone who had been castrated they left they led a celibate life they were not sexually active and that happened for perhaps different reasons have a look at verse 12 as jesus kind of unpicks what i'm going to call like a theology of singleness look at the the first bit in verse 12 jesus says for there are eunuchs who were born that way so Jesus is talking about that those who are who perhaps never had a desire to to be married Perhaps never had uh, attraction. Perhaps they are content to remain single. They are people who are eunuchs who were born that way. And they're content to live that way. Well, the second one, he says then further on, he says, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Now, I think that's important for what we've been thinking about this whole area of divorce. This is people who have been caused to live a single life, not out of their own choice perhaps by the actions of others, perhaps it's because of abuse, perhaps it's because they've been divorced, perhaps it's just because they'd love to get married, but it's just not happened. It's not out of choice, but out of circumstance. These people who have been made eunuchs by others, Jesus said. But there is a third category, and that's the one Jesus wants us to focus on. He says, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that there are people who choose to live single lives, whether they have been divorced, whether they've always been single, whether they're separated, whether their spouse has died. There are people who choose to live single lives for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. They are choosing to be single And I think this is a powerful message that Jesus is talking about. A powerful, radical message to send to the world. A world where we are told that to not be in a relationship, well, is wrong. It is our right to be in a relationship. But to choose to be single, why would you want to do that? Unless there was an amazing reason why. But choosing to be single like Jesus is talking about here is a powerful lived out symbol that Christ, not marriage, not remarriage, Christ is enough. It is a powerful symbol that I do not need to be married or remarried to be complete because I am complete in Christ. Because marriage is temporary where what we have in Christ is forever. 
A lot of people go into marriage expecting to find complete faithfulness, find sacrificial love, to find absolute commitment. But those people will be disappointed. Because all the things that people look for in marriage, those kind of things, are only ever really found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only one who is completely faithful. The only one who loves absolutely sacrificially and is so committed to his people. And if that is you, you are in good company. Because Jesus chose singleness too for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we all need healing and forgiveness in this area. Please don't not hear that this evening. We all need healing and we all need forgiveness in this area of singleness and marriage and divorce. Of where we have fallen short. But I want to just rewind up to verse 2 and see what it says. Large crowds follow Jesus and he healed them there. You see, that's what Jesus died to achieve. Our healing and freedom from sin. If you are a Christian and divorced, Jesus says it is better to stay that way than to remarry. There's a powerful sign that Jesus is enough. But if you are remarried, stay that way. Be honest with God with your mistakes, as we all need to be honest with God with our mistakes. But then know his forgiveness. And commit your current marriage to his glory and to the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus uh, spoke about these things. And uh, Lord, we pray that by your spirit you would help us to do business with you. Yes, here this evening, but as we go away. Lord, if there are things that are troubling us, things going on in our life at the moment, things from the past, Lord, encourage us to speak to someone. Uh, thank you that this is a church family that, that cares for those who are experiencing hardship, either in the present or the past or even in the future. Lord, thank you that we've got small groups. Thank you that we've got friends. Thank you that we've got people here tonight who can pray with us if this is a particular sore point for us at the moment. But Lord, thank you that Whatever marriage holds out in this life, thank you that it it fails in comparison to what you hold out for us in the next. Lord, whether we are single, whether we are married, whether we are divorced, separated, remarried, help us to look forward to that great day of being with you where marriage will no longer be necessary because the thing it pointed to will now be real. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.